0: Okay, so this is the last week of this series, the AHA series. A little bit of a test for you. The first A stands for? stands for? Better. The, The H stands for? And the last A stands for? Action. That's the series we've been in. If you've not been with us, where have you been? You've missed a brilliant series. And basically the whole premise of this is that a moment, in a moment, everything can change in your life. The light bulb can come on and everything can change. But it requires these three things working together. It requires an awakening. Someone switching a light on you, seeing something for the first time. It then requires some brutal honesty. Not just honesty, but brutal honesty with yourself and with what's going on in your life. And then it requires some action. So in the first week, we looked at the story of the prodigal son who left his father's home, ended up uh, in the pig's... St- I'm booming here, sorry... Um, I'm on my mic, I'm booming, thank you. He ended up in the pigsty. The Bible says when he came to his senses, when the light went on, he was honest with himself. Then he got up and he took some action and went home. Then in the second week, we looked at the story of Naaman, that general in the, in the, in the army who got leprosy and uh, he had to come to an awakening where he had to deal with his own pride and his own need to be in control and do what God asked him to do and when he did that, when he took action, he was completely healed. Then last week we looked at the woman at the well and she had that awakening moment when she realized that what she was really looking for was not physical water but spiritual living water and it wouldn't be found in relationships; it would only be found in God. She had to be brutally honest and then had to take some action and then she went into the community, told everybody about the, the Jesus that she'd met. So that's where we've been, and this morning we're looking. When we came to plan this series, um, we thought about all the different stories uh, in the Bible, which were a stories. And there was one which I thought, do you know, I really want to look at that story. It's really important, touching some really important issues. So we decided that I would do it on the last week of the series. What we didn't realize it was that it was Mother's Day, okay, at the time. So the central themes of the story that I'm going to look at involve sex, adultery, drunkenness, deception, and murder, okay. <laughs> Any, it's just a really good story for our Mother's Day uh, service, really. But we are going to talk a little bit about sex this morning, okay? Now, please don't be uh, freaked out, so let's talk about sex. We're not going to talk about it the whole morning, but it is central to the story. And I think the reality is, in our world, there is a continuum of different views about sex these days. On the one hand is the like nothing goes kind of approach, okay? Which is what I think many people think that God, Christians and and, and Christianity is all about. Basically we don't talk about sex, we don't have anything to do with it. That's what people think. On the other end of the spectrum is this whole thing that anything goes. So you get nothing goes to anything goes. And I want to suggest and about 50 shades in between. Okay, and I want to suggest to you that both of those extremes are not how God sees sex. Okay, and if you're uh, perhaps new to church, you might think, oh, Christians, you know, you're just really down on sex. We're really not, okay? I'm certainly not down on sex, okay? (laughs) Certainly not. All right, even though I'm ill, I'm still not down on sex, okay? But (laughs) but this whole view, (laughs) sorry. Wife's looking awkward at the moment. (laughs) All right, rescue, rescue. This whole idea that like church and Christians and God, that we just totally don't, don't, it's just so far from the truth. But I have to be honest, in church we do sometimes find it difficult to talk about the subject. Let me just give you a, a couple of stories here. So the vicar decided to do something a little different one Sunday morning. He said, today I'm going to say a single word and you're going to help me to preach. So whatever single word I say, I want you to sing whatever hymn comes to your mind. So he shouted out cross and immediately the congregation started singing the old rugged cross. He shouted out grace. The congregation began to sing amazing grace, correct? He said power. The congregation sang there is power in the blood. The vicar finally said sex. Congregation fell in total silence. Everyone was in shock. They all nervously began to look around at each other, afraid to say anything. Then all of a sudden, from way back in the church, a little 88-year-old grandmother stood up and began to sing Memories. (laughs) Love it. Love it. And (laughs) And then I found this story this week on social media, which I think is absolute genius. This apparently happened in a church recently. Everyone was shocked when this woman announced this in church. What followed is priceless. During the service, the pastor asked if anyone in the congregation would like to express praise for prayers which had been answered. A lady stood up and came forward. She said, I have a reason to thank the Lord. Two months ago, my husband Jim had a terrible bicycle wreck and his scrotum was completely crushed. (laughs) I know, it gets better. The pain was excruciating and the doctors didn't know if they could help him. You could hear an audible gasp from the men in the congregation. As they imagined the pain that poor Jim had experienced. She continued, Jim was unable to hold me or the children and every move caused him terrible pain. We prayed as the doctors performed a delicate operation. They were able to piece together the crushed remnants of Jim's scrotum and wrap wire around it to hold it in place. I know. (laughs) Again, Again, the men in the congregation squirmed uncomfortably as they imagined the horrible surgery performed on Jim. She continued, Now Jim is out of the hospital, and the doctors say with time his scrotum should recover completely. All the men sighed with relief. The pastor rose and tentatively asked if anyone else had anything to say. A man stood up and walked slowly to the podium. He said, I'm Jim. The entire congregation held its breath, and I just want to tell my beautiful wife the word is sternum. (laughs) Brilliant, isn't it? (laughs) Absolutely brilliant. One word, one word can make all the difference. It really can. All the difference. But you know, I want to say to you this morning God is into sex. God thinks sex is a beautiful gift. A beautiful gift. And, and it's not that it's at the one end of the spectrum where nothing goes and it's not at the one end of the spectrum where anything goes but there is something that God views about sex which is fantastic. In fact, this is the best way for me to describe this. is a blog of a, of a guy that I follow and he wrote this just a few weeks ago about sex in response to the Fifty Shades of Grey stuff that's around at the moment. He said this, Sex is a beautiful, wonderful thing. And the Bible looks at it as a beautiful, wonderful thing. So beautiful and wonderful that it teaches us to honour it and preserve it in all of its power and wonder, intimacy and mystery. So it's not that before marriage, sex is bad, bad, bad. And after marriage, sex is good, good, good. It's that sex is good, but taking it out of place is bad. Sex is very much like a fire. In the proper place and setting, it is beautiful. But if it gets outside of your fireplace, if it gets outside of where it belongs and where it is meant to be contained and harnessed and channeled, it can burn your house down and destroy everything in it. So when it comes to sex, the Bible would agree with the popular slang that it can be hot. But it would add that the fire that warms can also be the fire that burns. I think that's really good. Really, really good. And our story today does centre a little bit around sex, but it's much broader than that and how I want to apply it today. It centres on one of God's heroes called David, who the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. He was a man who lived on values. He was a man whose heart was after God. He lived a holy life, a pure life, a great life, but there was a moment in his life when it all went horribly wrong And this man discovered what we all need to discover, which is this. It is possible to let yourself, others, and even God down, but there is always a way back. Amen. And if you're not a Christian this morning, I want to speak to you as this. It's possible for you to let yourself and others down. There's always a way back. But if you are a Christian, it's possible for you to let yourself, others, and even God down, but there is still always, always a way back. So we're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 11 and firstly we we're going to look at what David actually did. So if you've got a Bible or you can follow it on the screen, this is what actually happened. This is a point in David's life and leadership where he was king now uh, and he'd risen to the top and everything was great and everything looked great and every battle that he went to fight, was they were winning. uh, And it was a really good point in his life. But it says this, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman washing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying... I am pregnant. What happens next is like the scene from a soap opera or a movie. You can read it. David fetches Uriah, the husband of this woman that he slept with, back from the front line and encourages him to go and to to visit his wife, hoping that he will sleep with her to cover up what he'd done. But because he was a man of honour and his soldiers were out there fighting, he wouldn't do that. David found out about that, so so got him to come to the palace and got him drunk and sent him back home, thinking now he's drunk, he's bound to go and sleep with his wife. But you know, a drunk Uriah had more integrity than a sober David at this point. Incredible. And then as if that wasn't enough, he said, right. And he sent a a, a word to one of his generals saying, send this man to the front line, then withdraw the troops, and when when the troops withdraw, then he'll be killed. That's exactly what happened, and this man was killed. And then David took the wife uh, of Uriah, Bathsheba, as his own wife into the palace. So he was this man who was a man after God's own heart, who not only lust, adultery, deception, cover-up, murder, all these different things he fulfilled. Can I just say as a little aside, one of the reasons that I am so down on the Fifty Shades thing is because it actually glorifies the subjugation of women. And this whole idea that it's suddenly kind of a liberating thing, I just feel so sad about all that in our culture. You know, that people think that sadism and masochism and control and bondage are somehow liberating. They're not because the powerful man does it to the woman. Let me tell you this, if you've ever met anybody or had anything to do with it, and maybe even here today, Fifty Shades of Grey does not cover shades of black and blue. And I want to say we need to really be careful in today's world and culture what we're glorifying and what we're lifting up. Sex is such a beautiful, precious thing. When it's taken out of context, it's a whole other mess. And that's what David did. But what did David demonstrate? What David demonstrated was this it's easier to let yourself down than you think. Most people in this room, you're not going to identify with all that David did, okay? You're going to suddenly say, hey, I didn't do all, I haven't done all that stuff. And I'm sure you haven't, okay? I'm sure you haven't. But it is easier to let yourself down than you think. Whether it's adultery or deception or murder, we all let ourselves, others, and even God down. And it's easier to let ourselves down than we think. You see, no executives say, say to each other, let's cook the books and get filthy rich. It never happens like that. No married couple, as they're walking down the aisle, say, let's get married, then let's wreck our marriage, and then wreck our kids, and wreck our future, and wreck our friend. Nobody does that. What happens is that it happens little bit by little bit by little bit like it happened in the story of David. No person says they're going to get so addicted to drugs or alcohol or shopping or porn that they can't stop. It never goes from A to Z. There are always steps in between. And that's what David demonstrated. It's easier to let yourself down than you think. And for David, it starts when he's at home when he should have been at war. When he was taking it easy when he should have been at war. That's where it started. Then the next step was not noticing the woman because he saw the woman before. I'm sure of that. And noticing a pretty woman is not wrong. What what went on was that he didn't only notice her, he lingered. His look lingered. And then beyond that, he then sent his servant to go find out who she was. When the servant came back saying, she's married, that should have stopped it for David, shouldn't it? But it didn't. And it went on and on. It's never A to Z, it's always A to B to C, and it goes through. And before you know where you are, you're in a whole different reality. You know, no marriage falls apart overnight. You know, I can't tell you how passionate I am about this subject right now. So many people that I know of my kind of age as well, right now at the moment, I can take you through seven, eight, nine, ten marriages that I know of. Nearly all of them are Christians, all in trouble or beyond trouble. And nothing like that falls apart overnight. It's a slow process, a slow fade over many, maybe months or even years. And it's possible to let ourselves. To let others and to even let God down. But there is always a way back. But the other thing I think that David demonstrates, not only is it easy to let yourself down, easy to let yourself go. Also, he also demonstrates it's easier to live in denial than you think. You see what happens in 2 Samuel 12, God intervenes. But in between the end of 2 Samuel 11 and the beginning of 2 Samuel 12, there's a year. You don't read that in the Bible, but there is a year's gap. And in that year, David lives in denial. He knows that what he's done is wrong, but he's living so much in denial, he's living as if he's done nothing wrong. And you know, denial is basically this denial is a defense mechanism in which a person is faced with a concrete fact that is too uncomfortable to accept, so they reject it despite overwhelming evidence. And I want to say, and I know this is a little heavy this morning, I want you to say, we easily live in denial. We really do as people. And whether we're Christians or not this morning, we can live in denial. We know that something is wrong, we know that something is destructive, but we live as if it's not. We live in denial. Instead of brutal honesty, we choose continued denial. So do you know, some people don't open the bills that come in the post because they know that they're bills that they can't pay. That's called denial. Some people with a family history of certain illnesses don't go to the doctors. That's called denial. What we do is we we, we push it away as if it doesn't exist. Uh, And denial leads you further down a path than you ever intended to go. And in, in Kyle Eidelman's book, The Aha Book, he talks our whole chapter about denial. And these are the things that he says. He says there are three tactics of denial. The first one is disagree. So don't bother me with the facts. You know, we live in a culture of relativism, don't we, where there are no moral absolutes. Can I just say, if you're not a Christian, this doesn't apply to you today. If you are a Christian, we live in a world of moral absolutes. Hello? We really do. They're what God says are the truth in the Bible. We live in a culture of no moral absolutes, but if you're a Christian, the Bible says that there are moral absolutes. So I want to be really clear If you're a follower of Jesus, sex is reserved for marriage, getting drunk is always wrong, gossip is destructive, not paying your taxes is theft. Now there's no other way for me to say that, okay? That's not me, that's what the Bible teaches. And yet we disagree because we push back against the facts. The other thing we do in denial is we defend, we get very defensive. You know, we push back when people push into areas of our life. The guy that wrote the book uh, is funny actually, because in the book he talks about the fact that, as as a preacher sometimes, as as a, as a church leader, you can get defensive. And somebody, you know, once said to him, you know, I, th- I thought your diet your diet doesn't seem to be going very well. And to which he immediately said, How's your prayer life going? Do you know what I mean? So it's like he's defensive. He's pushing back with something else when someone speaks truth into their life. You know, I think people avoid certain people and certain places because they know it will be uncomfortable. Often what people do when they are out of step with God, you know, when they're in a, in, in a, in, in a pattern of something which they know is not right, they stop coming to church because they know that something's going to be said that's going to push into that area. It's called denial. It's called denial. Where we defend, where we disagree, where we push back. Or what we do is we distract. We just focus on every other aspect of our life because that one aspect we know is out of sync so, so rather than deal with it, we just get distracted by focusing on everything else. But I want to say to you folks, it's possible to let yourself, others and God down. But there is always, always a way back. Isn't that good news? There's always a way back. So now let's look at what God did. You know, God gave David a great gift. And God gave David the gift of confrontation. He gave him the gift of of confrontation, Because what he did was he sent Nathan the prophet to switch the light bulb on for David. Now Nathan had a long relationship with David and they were friends and he was an advisor of David. And Nathan risked, jeopardised that friendship and that relationship in order to tell David the truth. Not only that, he possibly even risked his own life by going and speaking to the king in the way that he did. But he cared enough about David to put the relationship on the line for the sake of the truth in that person. He, he, he valued that person so much that he told him the truth. Now, is, there's an obvious question here. Do you have people in your world who love you enough to tell you the truth? Not who love you enough to tell you what they think you, you want to hear, but actually love you enough to tell you the truth because I think it's really, really important. Do you love people enough to tell them the truth. Now, if there are people in your life that love telling you the truth all the time and blasting you with it, run away from them, all right? Because they're disturbed, okay? That's a whole different issue. It's very hard to tell people the truth. If you love it, there's something slightly wrong with you. But if actually you're willing to do it, even though it's difficult, you're willing to do it for the sake of that other person, then that is something to value and to cherish. And I think the best culture for us to be in is a culture that balances encouragement with confrontation. You know, we live in a world right now that, that, that just says, you're amazing, you're amazing just the way you are. And that's the only thing we want to say. We don't want to hear anything else. because Don't say anything else because you're judging me. You're judging me if you don't say I'm absolutely amazing. That's a very immature, shallow, superficial culture. I think the biblical culture balances confrontation with encouragement where we are speaking, where we are calling the best out of one another, but where also we're willing at times, lovingly, to speak into each other's lives. And there is a way to confront, you know, and the Bible speaks into this in Galatians 6 verse 1. Paul says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, and that word literally means trapped, they're kind of trapped in a pattern of behaviour, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. You do it gently gently. You do it gently, but watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. And you know, when I speak passionately about marriage and about issues like this, and that's not because from any place of judgment, I know how easy it is to let things slip. And I know that, you know, we're all in that situation where that could happen. And so when you see something in someone else's life, the Bible says, speak gently and watch yourself when you do it. And Nathan does it absolutely beautifully. He tells a story of a rich man who used his power and his privilege to take what he wanted. And David reacts angrily to the story. Because you see, when you're in denial, you've still got your values. They're just deep inside you. Something resonated with David's values. And as he hears the story about a man using power and privilege to take something that didn't belong to him, he reacts angrily because the values are still there. He's just in denial. And the Bible says David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan as surely as the Lord lives the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then in a moment of absolute sheer drama when David angrily says the man that did this he should die Nathan switched the light on and said you are that man. You are that man. Now At that moment, he could have defended, he could have disagreed, he could have distracted, he could have pushed back, but he didn't. That awakening moment broke that whole year of denial. And he said, that's me. Brutal honesty, brutal honesty. And then David did something which we don't talk about in today's world or in today's church much at all, but we need to. David repented David repented. And I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about what repentance really is. You see, what God demonstrated as David repented is this. We can be totally forgiven. When we let ourselves and when we let others and when we let God down, no matter what it is, we can be totally forgiven. Most of us will never do all that David did here in this story. I hope to God we don't. But we've all let God down. We've all let ourselves down. We've all let others down. But if we are sorry, if we repent properly, we can be totally forgiven. And that bit of brutal honesty you see coming out in a psalm that David writes around this time. What happened when, when Nathan switched the light on for David? He said, you are that man. There was a whole then load of internal, you know, honesty for David, which, which then meant he went to God. And out of that, he wrote Psalm 51. Let me read it to you. Have mercy on me, O God, said David, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before you. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. It's one of the most beautiful parts of the Bible. It comes out of brutal honesty. And there are some words we need to understand here. There are big Bible words. Transgression literally means rebellion. It's when we go against what God says. It's called rebellion, transgression. Iniquity. Iniquity means when we twist something. We do that a lot when it comes to sex and relationships. Oh, yeah, but we love each other. So what? We're twisting it. We're twisting it. And what and the other one is sin, which refers to a skilled, left-handed sling thrower who just misses the mark, who just misses the target. That's called sin. We've all sinned the Bible says we all miss the target. Confession is telling God what he already knows repentance is a change of mind and a change of direction it's more than being sorry for what we've done now I'm noticing this a lot these days as well baby repentance is when we're sorry for what we've done but adult repentance is when we're sorry for what it is so David says against you only Lord have I sinned yeah against Bathsheba I did against Uriah I did against other people I did but really it was so it was against you Because I'm not just sorry for what I've done, I'm sorry for what it actually is. And you know, if it's baby repentance, you'll do it again. You know it, don't you? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry, feel really sorry, you'll do it again. But adult repentance is when it hits you at a whole different depth and a whole different level. And you ain't doing it again because somehow there is such a transformation on the inside That's why many of us, and I include myself in that, keep doing the same thing time and time again because we never really repent. We never really repent. We just say sorry for what we've done. But we're not sorry, really sorry for what it is, which is a sin against God. And if we were, and if we were to allow God to switch that light on inside of us, then maybe we'd know real change. So David's action in coming to God is something we can all learn from today. You may not need forgiveness from adultery, deception or murder, But if you've ever let yourself, others or God down and you're carrying that, you don't have to carry it any longer. Do you know that? If you've ever let yourself, others or God down and you are still carrying that, you do not have to carry it any longer because today you can know freedom. You can. Look how he came to God. He came pleading for mercy, not demanding rights. He came with brutal honesty, not defended hypocrisy. He came with confidence, knowing that God is a God who forgives totally. And he asked God to cleanse him, forgive him, restore to him joy, life and a clean heart. Isn't God great? It's possible to let yourself, others and God down, but there is always a way back folks, I want to say, you can know that today if you want to. You just need to say to God, God, forgive me. Maybe today, some of us kind of need to do that for the first time and to say, hey, God, here's an area where I have let myself and others and you down, and I need to ask for forgiveness. You can do that. It may be, you know, as I watched Sally the second time as well, noticing the, the, you know, carrying all that stuff on her back and trying to get rid of it and there's a real sense in which some of us we have been forgiven from things in the past but we still pick it up like we haven't been and we still carry it around with us and God actually says why are you carrying that around when I've already forgiven you from that and you know the the last thing I want to say about the David story what God demonstrated through this, this amazing way that he treated David was not only can we be totally forgiven but here's the second thing that our messiest, ugliest sometimes most shameful experiences of life can be turned into something absolutely stunning and so I, I, w- w- one of the reasons why I, I am a Christian and one of the reasons why I really believe in the Bible is that if I was to write the Bible I wouldn't put this story in there okay? because I don't want to keep this kind of stuff away but that's what, one of the reasons why I really believe that this is true, the Bible. Because he, the Bible doesn't cover over the messy stuff, the ugly stuff. It keeps it right in there. But then incredibly, if you fast forward hundreds of years, you can read the genealogy of Jesus, which is the boring bit of the Bible we never give to new Christians, okay? But in Matthew chapter 1, it goes to this whole list of people. And it says this, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Blah, blah, blah. And he goes on and on. And then this. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Wow. It's like God took that bit of ugly story in, in David's life and sinful wicked really but because David repented God wove it together into something absolutely stunning so maybe you sit here today and you look at your past and you think yeah but I've had this marriage breakup and I've had this issue and I've done that and I've done the other and there are consequences to what you've done but when you come to God God takes it and he can weave it into something absolutely incredible Connie how many of you know that's true So God doesn't want to hide away that things from the past, but actually bring them and integrate them into our story. And so Simon talks about what he did 10 years ago. Ended up in prison as a result of it, but now it's been integrated and woven into his story, into something stunning. Heard last week from Carl and some things that have happened in his story. That's now been woven into something stunning. The week before that, we heard about anorexia. That's, that's, that, that period of Debbie's life is now woven into her story and becomes something stunning. So whatever you've done in your past, if you bring it to God, if you're real about it, if you're brutally honest, and if there's that awakening and if there's that action, God can take it and weave it into something stunning. Isn't God amazing? Isn't God amazing? So why don't we pray this morning? Why don't we pray? Father, we want to thank you. You are such an incredibly gracious and forgiving God. When we let ourselves down, when we let others down, when we even let you down, there is always a way back. So God, I want to pray right now that every single person in this room, that we will, if we're carrying stuff that we've already been forgiven of, God, let us lay it down properly today. But God, if there are people here and we are still doing stuff or we have done stuff and we've never really, never really asked for forgiveness. We've never really repented. Maybe even right now. Maybe, oh, maybe even right now. Guys, there's some, a guy here this morning. I believe you're in a relationship and you know that you are one step away. You're one step away from crossing barriers and values that you have. You are one step away. Today, I pray, Lord Jesus. Let us come to you. Let us be brutally honest. Let us come to you, Lord Jesus. Before it's even too late for some of us, God, let us ask that you'd cleanse us, cleanse us. David could have stopped at any moment, but he didn't. God, I pray that we would. And if we've gone too far, God, help us to come back to you, I pray. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. What we're going to do is we're going to take communion together. This is an act that's been done by millions of people across every country in the world for the last 2,000 years. Central to this is a remembrance and a recognition of what Jesus has done on the cross by taking away all of our sin, all of our wickedness, all of our evil, all of our bad intentions and motives and actions, taking them onto himself so that we can be totally forgiven. It's an amazing God, isn't it? He's an amazing God. Why don't we stand? Guys are going to serve you. I want you to hold hold on to the bread and hold on to the cup. We're going to take it together as a community. And we're going to sing this incredible hymn as we sing.